Loyalty, companionship, love. Most listeners would use these words to describe the relationship they have with their partner or a pet. Beloved breeds like Golden Retrievers or French Bulldogs tend to get a lot of attention for the close bond they have with owners. But what about cats? While dogs get a lot of positive PR, some would argue that cats are the actual underdogs of the pet world. They just show their loyalty and love a bit differently. One expert on cats is Jonathan Lossus, an evolutionary biologist and professor of biology at Washington University in St. Louis. He teaches a popular class called The Science of Cats. In order to better understand these furry felines, Lossus says it's first important to grasp where they came from. Today's domesticated cats descended down thousands of years ago from African wild cats who roamed the savanna. If you looked out your kitchen window and saw an African wildcat, you would not say, what is that African wildcat doing in my backyard? But rather you would say, what a cool looking cat. I've never seen one quite like it. So they do look a lot like domestic cats, but they are different in some ways. For example, one difference is how domestic cats meow much more than small wild feline species. The domestic cat has changed its meow. It's shorter in duration and more higher pitched. And apparently people, when you play them a meow of a domestic cat and a meow of an African wildcat, and you don't tell them which is which, people can definitely tell them apart, and they rate the domestic cat's meow much more pleasant to listen to. Researchers have also discovered that domestic cats have evolved to meow much more in order to communicate with humans. Lassus says that wild colonies of cats don't really meow to each other very much. It's a trait that has evolved during domestication. Moreover, any given cat will have several different meows, and they will use them in different contexts. And so they have evolved to be able to interact with us in ways that they can tell us, you know, I'm hungry, or I want to get out of this room, or whatever. But zooming out, Lossus argues that in general, these felines aren't very much different than the African wildcat. Whereas most domesticated species, like dogs or cattle or pigs, are very different from their ancestor. But cats aren't very different at all from wildcats. In fact, when they occur together, they will interbreed readily and produce kittens. We can get a better picture of this evolution by traveling across the Atlantic to the Middle East to a large area once known as the Fertile Crescent. Today, this geographic region is home to several Middle Eastern countries and includes a small part of Egypt. Lossus points out that it's here in this region where African wildcats eventually became part of society. People often think that domestication is something that we do to other species, that we breed them and transform them. But in many cases, such as this, it was the cat that really took the lead. And the idea is this, that in the Fertile Crescent, that's where people first settled down and lived in villages instead of being mobile hunter-gatherers. And they built villages and they started farming, the start of agriculture. And as you know, farms during the good season, they grow as much food as they can, and then they store what's left over for the lean season. And so you can picture these villages with huts or buildings with lots of extra food lying around. Well, of course, that attracts mice and rats who see that as a great bounty. And so the rodent population explodes. And in turn, some of the African wildcats, the bolder ones who were willing to enter a village, took advantage of all these rodents. 
This symbiotic relationship benefited both cats and humans as it kept rodents at bay. Lawson says that early humans in the Fertile Crescent took a liking to these felines and encouraged them to stay by putting out more food and creating comfy areas to sleep. And then again, the boldest cats would maybe enter the houses to take advantage of that. And those cats would have more kittens that would have the same behavioral traits. And then people would continue to be good to them. Perhaps the cats that entered the houses, they would start petting them because kittens are adorable. And the cats that would let themselves be touched would get more food. And we would go through this dance where cats increasingly evolved to adapt to living with us. And we, in turn, treated them better and better. And eventually, the African wildcat turned into the domestic cat. Zoom in on Egypt about 3,500 years ago, and you can see how this society adored cats. From remaining structures, visitors can still see inscriptions and paintings of cats on tomb walls and stone buildings. Egyptian hieroglyphics also show a narrative of how cats were part of the Egyptian family. Cats ate meals from bowls underneath the dining room table, wore handmade collars, and came along on family outings. And then a little bit later, cats became revered that the ancient Egyptians had a whole bunch of gods that they worshipped. And these gods, each god had its own totem animal. And about 3,000 years ago, the predominant goddess, the number one goddess, if you will, was named Bastet. And she was usually pictured as a woman with the head of a cat. However, Lassus highlights that there was also a dark side to this perception. Egyptians also recognized these felines as mythical, sacred creatures. When Egyptians went to temples to pray to their god, to pray to the goddess Bastet, or maybe to ask for some offering from the goddess, asking something she needs, Bastet, can you, whatever, they would take a votive offering, which people sometimes today do when they go to a religious place. But instead of a candle or something else, what they would take is a cat mummy. And this is horrible. So close your ears if you don't want to hear it. But what they would do in the temple grounds is they would breed lots and lots of cats and then kill them and make them into mummies that people would buy and take to the temple as a votive offering. So even though they revered cats in general, they often made these cat mummies by the thousands. And since these cats were mummified and preserved, archaeologists today are using these specimens to learn more about the genetic nature of cats who lived three or 4,000 years ago. Experts say these generations didn't look much different than those of today. Egyptian felines typically had spotted or striped coats and short, light-colored fur to adapt to the heat. Lassa says that who knows what the cats of the future will look like, but he knows one thing, they'll definitely be around. With 400 million feral cats just about everywhere, with a billion cats, domestic cats in the world, they will be around and they will be the ancestors of many cats of the future. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Professor Jonathan Lossus, head to viewpointsradio.org. Also check out his new book, The Cat's Meow, How Cats Evolved from the Savannah to Your Sofa. This segment was written by our executive producer, Amira Zaveri. Our studio manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Gary Price. Coming up on Viewpoints. Since the 2020 census, 
San Francisco lost over 40,000 people, uh, about a 5% decline. What was once hot is now not. Understanding the population peaks and dips across America. Then. We've spent billions of dollars enforcing cannabis laws. And this is money that in the neighborhoods that have been most targeted isn't going to schools, to hospitals, community centers. Making amends for the war on cannabis. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. That's Viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows and find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Viewpoints.